Let's pray and, uh, and we'll get started and jump in here. Jesus, thank you for um, these early brothers and sisters who walked a path that we don't necessarily have to walk the same path, but we thank you for their endurance. We thank you for the way in which your spirit sustained them, the way that your church moved forward. Um, Lord, we stand on their shoulders. We thank you for this pastor, for these words, the mighty way in which you used him to um, expound your truth and to, um, to share it with the world. Jesus, all of this is possible because of who you are, because of your life, your death, and resurrection. And so, Lord, we um, long to see you receive the glory for it. Thank you so much for this gift of your word. Um, thank you for this time that we've had to study it. Would, um, would you use it to change us? And would uh, your kingdom grow because of it? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> disclaimer, this is written under duress. I have a two-year-old that has like refused to go to bed before 1030 for the last few nights. I don't know why. Um, I'm assuming this is some genetic trait she received from her father. But um, <laughs> So Bess and I wrote this together. <laughs> and um, I did, I did just have to go get my kids. So... Um, no, you're not supposed to, but you will probably receive a text like five to seven minutes into this lecture that says, come get your kids. And that's what I was banking on. Like, I'm getting them now, so I don't receive the text in the middle of this lecture and think, bye. <laughs> um, okay, the title of this little uh, talk is called The Grace of Good Works, and um, here we go. Okay, so we've made it to the end of Hebrews. What a study. Uh, the words of this letter have been some of the most beautiful I've ever read. I hope that you feel the same. They are stuffed to the brim with the truth of who Jesus Christ is, what he accomplished, and what he continues to do for those he loves. Uh, God's grace and God's mercy have been made abundantly clear. And you really have to feel for this first audience, if this hasn't been, you know, whittled into your brain, Already, um, this young growing church um, in the first century faced more than we, centuries later in the West, will likely ever have to face. Uh, their lives are on the line as the gospel spreads across the globe, making its way to us. These are the saints' shoulders upon whom we stand, and their fortitude and faithfulness through persecution propelled the gospel forward. That cannot be, um, be said enough. So how will this pastor close his letter? What words of encouragement will he leave them with to keep them holding fast? And as we're in the middle of March Madness, I was ready for like the greatest locker room pep talk ever, right? Um, but what do we get? Worship? Good works? A list of things to do? As Virginia Moore likes to say, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> um Okay, okay, so let's see what we've got here. For those of us who have only known the freedoms that Western culture has provided in respect to worship and its practice, the following exhortations seem pretty reasonable. I mean, who can't be hospitable? Am I right? 
But consider showing hospitality to outsiders who may or may not be there to persecute you, who may go tell the authorities about you, and who may cost you your life. They may really want to see you finished. Um, Listen and respect our leaders. Follow them. Okay, no big deal. Except our leaders aren't having to tell us to forget about our own physical safety. Be content. Okay, good for Americans to hear, but these are the marginalized in their community, the outcasts, the poorest and least loved people around. How can you ask them to be content? How can this be the last word from their pastor? This seems so contrary to what they really need. Uh, These Christians need the Red Cross. (laughs) They need the UN. They need the Salvation Army. And what they are given instead is basically the Ten Commandments. And after all this talk about the law being unable to save us, seems like this pastor gives us the seven habits of highly effective people. This cannot be right. Um, Well, I'd like to present to you today what I think is the wisdom in these words and make the case that as much as these early Christians needed this instruction for Christian life, we need it just as much. I want to send you out from here knowing that the abundant grace of God flows from these good works that he calls us to. And I want you to see that this acceptable worship is anchored in and draws every ounce of ability and strength from the cornerstone of the church, Jesus Christ himself. Conveniently, I'm going to use these three ideas to help make my point. You have this on your outline. The blessing of good works, the challenge of good works, and the source of good works. The blessing, the challenge, and the source. Easy enough, right? Okay, let's see what happens. Um, Again, Bess wrote this with me, so just... (laughs) Brush away anything you hear that doesn't sound too true. Um, Okay, the blessing of good works. Why would our pastor commend these acts to a suffering church? Why would this be what he leaves them with? Well, let's use a little reason here. I think reason would have us deduce is because he knows that this is the only way that this church will survive. And that this is what the church needs to make it through this season of persecution. At our house, we have a little phrasing that I use when our um, family ship starts to veer off course from the pleasant waters of happiness and zen to um, the turbulence and jagged rocky edges of emotional turmoil (laughs) Um, due to the wrong socks being handed out or any number of ridiculous injustices my children perceive to experience. And um, this also includes disobedience. Basically, when everyone just wants to be the queen of the castle instead of um, the lowly servants they really are. Um, I'll look at my girls and I'll say, uh, ladies, our ship will sink if we continue this way. There is one way of life that's going to be practiced here, and that includes obeying mommy and daddy and loving one another regardless of our feelings or circumstances. Because... We just don't, like, we cannot veer too long from that path before chaos ensues and anarchy just starts to ruin our little family. Like, I mean, it's minutes before the ship just starts to sink, and we will not make it. Life in the church is not much different, but how often we forget, maybe because of some big cultural turmoil or our own personal crisis, that the good works prescribed by God's word will move the church forward. Not the end of persecution or challenge. In fact, persecution never stops the church. (laughs) History itself shows us this time and time again. And even now, the hemispheres where the church is exploding are where persecution is the greatest. 
Persecution never stops the gospel, ever. Never has, never will. But when we veer from good works, that's a different story. I bet there's not one person in here who couldn't tell a story about a church suffering greatly or even dying and collapsing from the weight of sin and destruction caused by a lack of brotherly love, zero outreach, love of money, sexual scandal, or abandoning the leaders that God placed over it. We all know those stories, and churches die because of it. Do you look at these things this way? That it's not arbitrary, the duties that almost every single New Testament work gives us. This list is not new. This is in every Pauline epistle, and it goes on till the end of the Bible. This list is not new. It's not just this pastor who hands out these things for the church to do. They serve a huge purpose in the success of the church as a whole. They shine a light on the truth of the gospel by keeping us focused on the truth. Okay, Ada, so how do they do that? Well, I would argue that these works free us. They free us. What do they free us from? All right, well, let's look at some of them. So brotherly love, that incredible force between brothers and sisters in Christ. Encouragement, forgiveness, not holding grudges, going above and beyond for each other. The church, your church, your local church itself becoming your family. And even Jesus himself says in John 13, this is how... They are going to know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. What freedom from self-centeredness we are called to. What selflessness. And again, we all have stories. When the church displays these, it is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, Two examples of this. My husband and I um, worked for a ministry called RUF at the University of Alabama for seven years before we came here to Fort Worth. And um, I just think one of the coolest things about RUF is that it is connected to our denomination, like it's our denominational ministry for the PCA. And so parents are sending their children off to college, and if they're members of a PCA church, they've probably heard about RUF and would call us. And these would be strangers. We wouldn't know who they were. But Ryan would get these emails or we would get these phone calls. Hey, my son and our daughter is coming to Alabama. Here's their contact information. Please go love my kid. Who else can you do that with, guys? Like, there's somebody on a college campus. If you have little children, there's there's a ministry where you can call a guy and his wife and say, my kid's coming. Please go get them. Bring them into your fellowship, to your community. And we would. <laughs> Total strangers. And then they would become family. It was just, it's just the coolest thing. This, and another illustration, this happened. This is an illustration. It's an actual thing. Um, this happened three weeks ago. A, fr- a good dear friend of mine from college who works in Uganda, um, with children and as a nurse got like severely deathly ill and um, they had to airlift her to a hospital in another country like in Africa because that was the better hospital and her parents left California 
to go be with her, and they were thinking they were coming to Uganda. When they got there, they got on a plane immediately to go to this other city where they knew no one. So, like, the city where they thought they were going to be is where Kendry's ministry was, and, you know, there were friends there and community. Um, But no, that's not the case. They moved to, um, and I'm blanking on the name of the city, but they go to this huge city where there's this university hospital so she can get the best treatment. They're there by themselves. And it, I mean, y'all, it wasn't 24 hours before we had networked the Christians who could go and meet her parents there just to see how they were. Her friends from Uganda got friends up there. Like a friend of mine who was a traveling nurse had some friends who were at the hospital who she could call to come and check on them. Like we have this network, this community, this love that really exists without boundaries. And it is so beautiful. And we all have stories like that. So that's, you know, brotherly love. What freedom, what freedom to be able to like, Hey, I can go anywhere in the world. And I know I'm going to find a brother or sister. Like nobody else can say that. Let's think about hospitality to the stranger. The church's eyes are called to look outward as much as inward. Think about the freedom here in, in the reality and the grace of the idols that have to die slowly sometimes um, in order to practice hospitality. What is God calling you away from? He's calling you out of the fear of man. He's asking you to open your arms and your door, open your doors and your arms and your minds and your lives and your homes to love one, to love other people. But that really takes you out of the bondage of insecurity. To go and do that requires you to like give up the ghost. Like I can't be afraid of I can't be afraid of what they're going to think of me. Um, and we'll get to like the reality of some of that in just a minute. Um, the end of the fear of awkward silence. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, in order to show real hospitality, you are drained of just about every selfish endeavor possible. Your thoughts are for the other above yourself. Um, There is freedom in that. Can you see that? Can you see the chains that not opening your life to other people keep you in? Um, Remembering and praying for those in prison for the gospel. He's literally asking his his congregation to pretend they're there with them. Put yourselves in their place. Um, Take care of them. In this day and age, this would be the only way prisoners would survive. There was no... um, you know, ethical treatment for convicts at that time. I mean, if somebody didn't come bring you food, you didn't eat. Somebody didn't come take care of you. You didn't get taken care of. Um, What attitude would this conjure in a congregation? One, I think it would conjure an attitude of total dependence on the Lord, Um, moving and working for those most in need and in hearts of gratitude for his provision. What's happening to them is is what's happening to us. That's what, that's the attitude he wants them to have. And all of this flows out of brotherly love. What happens to you is what's happening to me. Um, You are now free from a life that doesn't know empathy. You are now free to connect with those suffering. You are now free to empathize. This is the grace of this good work. Um, How horrible would it be not to know how to care for those experiencing the very worst? What kind of life would that be? 
You know, we have those moments where people have entered in with us. Think about how effective that has been when someone has walked alongside of you in your, in your, in your most trying time. Let marriage be held in honor. This is a duty flowing from the doctrine that would keep you safe from the damaging effects of sexual sin. It allows you to celebrate one of God's good, good gifts. It frees you to love your spouse fully and boldly. And it frees you to honor and respect the marriages around you. This was seen as so unique in the pagan world. And I can't help but notice how very unique it is now, too. Um, and here the pastor commends that is, it is not in vain. The world sees and notices. And the kingdom grows when searching hearts wonder at our marriages. Ryan has a phrase, and I'm sure he got it from somebody else. But um, when, we, when he does counseling before, like premarital counseling... His goal is not like survival for the marriage. His goal is that their marriage would sing. That it would sing. And it would sing this song of love and forgiveness and happiness and joy to the watching world. Because your faithfulness in your marriage shows the world Christ's faithfulness to his church. And we really, I mean, like, we take that for granted. I mean, I, I, am, I am no different. I get bogged down in the, um, the failure of marriage in many, in many ways. It's, it's not hard to do, to just feel like, oh, you know, in my own marriage, it's hard. What is this showing people? Um, in the marriages I see around me of friends that are just collapsing, it is, it is hard not to feel hopeless. Um, but this is a good work and there is grace and freedom and joy to be found. Um, and all of us again, know that I'm kind of moving on from marriage to like unrepentant sexual sin, how much sexual sin can damage the church. Um, and I really believe that, and I read this in a couple different commentaries, sexual sin, like no other has the power to detach us from the truth. There is really... I mean, the way that it kind of gets at your body and soul, the mysterious power that it has to move you from truth to untruth, and yet you're still believing the untruth that you're in is truth. I don't know anything like it. I don't know anything else that does it. Um, But there is nothing that kills a church like the pastor having an affair or the pastor leaving his wife. Or the wife of the pastor leaving. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. Um, But the freedom in the beautiful boundary God gives you. Can you enjoy that? Like you are free. You have this one person and you are free to love them to the end of their to the end of their life. Go be free in that. Um. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content. You are free from the rat race. (laughs) You are free to work and live without the bondage and chains that love of money brings. And I, I like saying it this way. You are free to be satisfied. You're free to be satisfied. You can make a choice and be satisfied. 
Redo your kitchen or don't. You know you can live fully either way. Can you imagine the molding and shaping of wills it took for those early Christians? But can you also imagine the great freedom it brought them compared to the world around you? Think about the content people you know in your life. They're happy. (laughs) They're happy. Think about the uncontent people you know in your life. They're not happy. Um, Can you be satisfied? Or are you constantly, what's next? What do we need to do? What do we need to do? I'm not, this is, I'm, this is not it. This can't be it. What's next? This is it, guys. <laughs> be content. <laughs> Submit to and obey your leaders. God has through the ages provided the leaders needed to guide his church. Don't doubt that he is still not about that. We are not alone, and we are free to follow and not wander cluelessly through this life. Um, I just love, I loved my time at seminary. One of the most encouraging things about seminary was that there were actually people there. (laughs) And there were these men who I just, I knew God was going to use to lead his church. And some of them were younger than me. Some of them were older than me. It is so fun to see God still providing that for his people. The church isn't going anywhere. I mean, seminaries are full. God is continuing to provide. And there is so much freedom in being able to say, um, I hear a lot of outside voices, but this is the voice I'm going to listen to. Because this is the church I joined, and this is who God put over me right now. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. Can you, can, you, can you grapple with that a little bit? Okay. So that's really the way I want to challenge you to look and think about the good works that Scripture calls believers to, that they are a blessing in how they serve the church at large, but also in the ways in which they free the believer to live a more full and satisfying life. Um, but let's move on to point number two. Um, it's no secret that this is a lot easier said than done, which is pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what the first recipient said under their breath when they read this. Um, why is this so hard? Um, sure. We are broken and sinful and so is the world. No doubt. Um, but I think it's challenging for a few reasons and I just want to spend a minute thinking through them. Um, we're going to have three sub points, sub point a, Sometimes we just don't want to do good works. We just don't want to. I want to consider a few, um, a few reasons why we just might not want to do good works. We are busy. We are so busy. So busy. Um, just to give you an example, in my own life, for seven years... At the University of Alabama, during the school year, I would have a dinner at my house every week. I would have eight to ten college students over. It would be a blast. And we did that consistently for seven years. It was Wednesday night dinners at the Moors. I cooked. I got the house clean beforehand. Ryan did all the dishes. Um, We had this pattern of opening up our home weekly to new college students. And it was a blast. 
there have not been many dinners at the Moore House <laughs> since we moved to, to Fort Worth. And I, there have been nights when it's kept me awake. Like, how could we do that then and not do that now? We are busy. We are too busy. I don't have a night. I don't have a night. And the one night I do have, I want to spend it with my husband and my kids. I'm not giving that up. What is that? I have not made room in my life for hospitality in my own home. I say that just to free you up to express your, like, that is a reality for all of us. We're too busy. We had a scheduled hospitality event because we ran the ministry at RUF. Like, we scheduled it into the week. That's what it took. We had to will it into the schedule. That's what it's going to take. Like, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to make room. You're going to have to cancel something. You're going to have to make room for hospitality. And that's just kind of one example. But um, because in reality, you just don't want to do it. If I wanted to do it, I would do it. I mean, let's be honest. And I, I mean, I really kind of want to do it. Um, but not enough. <laughs> not enough. Um, so one, we are, we are busy, 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 too busy. Um, two, uh, these things are scary in many respects because they are so revealing. Share my life with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That sounds like a death sentence to many of you because no one's going to like me, much less love me. That's scary y'all. And I want to acknowledge that it's real. We have real fears. Um, for many, the idols of our hearts are made real by these works. I am never satisfied with anyone or anything. And contentment is a myth. That might be the outpouring of your heart right now. And how about this? The church, its leaders, and other believers have hurt me before. How about that? I'm never trusting a church leader fully again. I'm never following. And you know what? I'm going to love to the point that I'm comfortable and no further. Because I know what happens when I go 100% down that path. I get hurt. And it's not fun. And it takes a long time to heal. Um, That's real. That's very, very real. And that's part of a lot of our stories. Um, I remember one of my goals for moving to Fort Worth. um, And one of my prayers was that I would leave cynicism about the church in Tuscaloosa. That I would leave it there. And I would come here with a clean slate. It's hard, y'all. Once you cross that bridge of cynicism, I would argue you can't get back over. <laughs> it is hard to get back over. Um, and and it, it is a challenge from then on to do the good works you're called to. Um, point number two, we have our own works that we think are good. We like to do this little thing where we add to the gospel. Like This is, what a really, this is really what a Christian does. Um, You kind of see this a little bit in the text when he says in verse 9, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. There was this kind of weird meal that they were being asked to partake in that basically a group of um, pseudo-Christians were saying, this is what real Christians do. This is what we do. We eat this meal and this is going to make us better Christians. Um, 
but we are not too far from that in our own little evangelical culture. Um, we have our own better ideas about what good works are. And I would just ask you this. Um, do the ministries of your church and do the ministries you're a part of find their root in these works we're reading about here in Hebrews? Or is there another real issue at play? Is there something else they're trying to accomplish? Because that's very real. And that really does happen. Um, number three, we don't think we can. I, I've heard this more than I care to repeat, but um, hospitality is not my gifting. Like, I just, she does it better than I do it. It's not my gifting. Um, I want to read you this quote from Madeline LaIngle from Walking on Water. I just love it. In a very real sense, not one of us is qualified, but it seems that God continually chooses the most unqualified to do his work, to bear his glory. If we are qualified, we tend to think that we have done the job ourselves. If we are forced to accept our evident lack of qualification, then there is no danger that we will confuse God's work with our own or God's glory with our own. I just love that. Yeah, we don't think we can. Good. You can't. You can't. Um, But some of that comes out of our inability to let go of certain comforts. Some of that might even come out of our refusal to believe that God has fully forgiven us. Think about sexual sin in this way. Like, if it's hard for you to walk forward um, abstaining from sexual immorality, it could be that it's your shame that's pulling you back into a cycle of sin. God has fully and completely forgiven you. If you claim Christ, it's finished. It's done. God is so pleased with you. Please do not let shame or guilt pull you back into a dangerous cycle that hurts you and other people. Um, You can. God will. Fear of failure, that's a very real one. That's very real. Feel fear of failure. I am, I'm going to be terrible at this. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I have this, um, one of my favorite like Facebook memes is this double picture, double sided picture. And one of them, it's Mary Poppins on one, on one side. And it says the mother I thought I would be. And then on the other side, it's Miss Hannigan. And it says the mother I really am like from the old Annie, you know, Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Like, there could not be a truer statement. Yes, you're going to fail. Yes, you are underqualified. Go. (laughs) Be free. Um, These are real things. I won't deny them. I just won't let you stay there. These works were given to a ragtag group of former Jews who likely had nothing. And if they can press on, so can you. So can you. But how? Um, It's not within ourselves, that's for sure. Let's move on to three. The source of our good works. And I'm going to wrap this up. Goodness ultimately flows from the true good worker. Goodness ultimately flows from the true good worker. Listen to these verses of encouragement and power scattered throughout this text. 
Let's look at verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to...
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Christ, the creator, yesterday, knows this world. He knows who you are. He knows your heart and your mind. And he has made the sacrifice today um, necessary for all your good works to be pleasing to the Father. And he continually intercedes for them tomorrow. Um, And his resurrection proves, proves, because he's alive, seated at the right hand of God the Father. It proves that while we struggle here, we will soon find ourselves in God's city. We will soon find ourselves in God's city where good works will flow naturally and without fear right out of us. And it will be amazing because we will be with the true good worker forever. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you for this time together that we can share as sisters in Christ. Would you be with us the rest of this week as um, perhaps we wrestle with some of the words here? Lord, would you um, continue to pour out your spirit on us that we would be agents of good work and that your kingdom would grow because of that? And would Christ receive every ounce of glory for it? We pray this in his name. Amen.